Well, if you've got your Bibles, please open them up to uh, Philippians. Uh, we're, we're continuing in a series on the book of Philippians. <clears throat> and, and as you get them out, we're going to be chapter 1 still. And I wanted to ask this question. If your life, if your life was a movie... Who would be the protagonist? If your life was a movie, who would be the protagonist? You can pick any genre. It can be a dystopian. It can be a Marvel movie. It can be whatever you want it to be. It can be uh, action. But who would be the winner? Who would be the person whose whose life is seen through their their lens? Uh, if, If it was me, and as I was thinking about this... I would say I'm the protagonist of my life. I'm the person that I'm trying to, I'm trying to win in my life. That's my default. Uh, the problem is that as much as, as I want to have a starring role in my own life, that's not what was intended. This may sound kind of strange, but you and I were never intended to be the stars of our lives. God was. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But when we recognize that God is the main character of our lives, then even in our darkest hours, we have opportunity for joy. I'm going to say that again. When we recognize that, that God is the main character of our life, then even in the darkest of hours, we can have opportunity for joy. And that's my hope, is that we would be encouraged uh, in, this, in this word. So would you stand with me as we prepare, as we read Philippians chapter 1. Verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you not only desire to be involved in our lives, not only desire to to condescend to us, but you, you enter into our world through your son, Jesus Christ. You come and you, you embody our humanity. And you invite us into your story. And God, I pray that as we, as we look at your word, as we consider what it means to be first or to be second, God, I pray that we would willingly step aside, knowing that there is joy in the Lord, even in the midst of darkness. Lord, speak through your servant. Use your word to bring confirmation, comfort, conviction. Pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. 
I want to say at the outset that Paul has reason to be upset. Paul has reason to be upset. He is in prison. He's not at home. He's not hanging out with his friends. He is, he is in prison. He's in chains. He talks about even having chains. It's very possible that he was chained potentially to uh, a Roman guard or someone else, but he is in prison. Uh, rather than, than raising up leaders and planting churches, which was his skill and his calling, he is bound in chains. I mean, with all his knowledge, I mean, he's a, he's a, a type A character who's driven all his leadership development skills, all his church-building prowess, here he was stuck. If he had a five-year plan, it's likely that prison was not one of the key goals, right? And yet, here at the beginning of this letter, Paul is giving the Philippians a positive progress report. He, he's talking to them, and, and you would expect him to begin to describe the, the difficulties of his situation, maybe lay out the 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 cell that he was in and, and how he's being treated and, and how he feels on the inside and maybe how he, he wrestles at night with the Lord God. Why have you done this? But no, he gives a positive report. He knows that the Philippians are concerned for him and, and it seems that he wants to allay their concern. He wants to make them not worry about him. They've sent Epaphroditus with some gifts to care for him. They've expressed their concern and he's saying, you know what? Things are actually going well. If, if things can go well in prison. So he lets them know about the fruit of his ministry in prison. He says, first of all, that unbelievers are hearing the gospel. Secondly, he says that believers are being encouraged to preach the gospel. Some because they, they stand in solidarity with him and others because of rivalry. But, but the gospel is being preached. And then finally, he says that he himself is rejoicing rather than ranting. I mean, put yourself in his position, how do you think you would respond? I think that I might be ranting at this point. I mean, how many of you have looked at your circumstances and they're legitimately bad? We're not talking about him going to prison because he broke the law. He went to prison because he was being falsely accused and, and, and people were saying that he was doing things he was never intending to do. And so he wasn't there because... He had broken the law, and this was the, this was the right response. He was there because people were after him. In, in that situation, there, there's this sense of like righteous indignation that I think would rise up in most of us. That I deserve better. I, I, I'm owed more. In our case, this is America. I have rights. And yet, what does he say? He's, a, he's thankful for what God's doing, and he, he rejoices how can this be? Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He, he's aware of how that would come off. He, he, he includes the word really because he understands that, that this sounds kind of ridiculous. In fact, this is not what I would choose for a model of evangelism. I think about evangelism sometimes because we as a church, there are things that we need to do to get out in the community, right? We just had Sterling Fest. That was an evangelistic opportunity. Pray for people, meet people, invite them to church, share the gospel. On my list of, of evangelism models, you know, there's, there's the, the two ways to live. Do you want to go this way or that way? There's, there's, we've got the Grace Covenant Church, uh, Every Nation, Gospel, or the, the God Test, there, there are other tools that you might be familiar with. I've never encountered the, the go-to-prison model. 
of evangelism, right? There's step one, get imprisoned. Step two, what's step two? What step, you, you are done when you're in prison. That's, that's, the, that's the perspective that I would have. And yet Paul tells us that his imprisonment has opened up a ministry. He says in 13, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my, and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He, he says that, that his, his imprisonment has opened up this ministry to this imperial guard. One commentator says that, that the imperial guard was the emperor's bodyguards. It's almost like the secret service of Rome. Assuming that he's in Rome, these were the individuals who would, would be guarding the emperor. Who They were an elite group of people. And they had heard the gospel because Paul went to prison. Can you think of another way that Paul could have had this audience with the emperor's bodyguards? Can you, can you think of a scenario where they would all say, you know what, we want to hear about this, this guy, Jesus, who died. He was just a Jewish guy. He died and rose again. And, and we want you to tell everyone. No, because that sort of thing doesn't happen. God used this ridiculous situation to, to bring the gospel to people who otherwise likely would have never heard or be, been willing to hear the gospel. And, and there's a sense that, that they have a real understanding that, that Paul identifies with Christ. When it says that in verse 13, it's, been com- it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard that my imprisonment is for Christ, in, in the original language, it's in Christ. So it's not just, I'm here for the sake of Christ, but he's identifying with Christ in his imprisonment. So when they begin to look at him and his struggle and how they relate to him and how, he, how Paul relates to his own struggles, Paul's giving them a, a, a picture of who Christ is. He's not just speaking about Christ. His life is, is glorifying and reflecting Christ to these individuals who otherwise would have not had this kind of relational surface area with a Christian. But that's the wisdom of God. God makes a way in ways that we would never expect. That, that should give you comfort in your life. God makes a way in ways that you would never expect. So one of the questions you might ask yourself when you find yourself in a bewildering situation is, God, what are you doing? Because God's at work it's very likely that God has you right where he wants you. You you may be in a difficult situation looking for a way out, and it may be just the place that God wants you to do something that you could have never done or orchestrated on your own. What would God do with your life if you stopped seeing your circumstances as, as obstacles and started to see them as opportunities? I'll repeat that. What would you do? What would God do with your life if you stopped seeking, seeing your circumstances as, as obstacles and started to see them as opportunities? Because Paul viewed his imprisonment as an opportunity, unbelievers were getting saved. That's, that's amazing. But that's not all that was happening. If we keep going, <clears throat> it says in verse 14, and most of the brothers, having been become confident in the Lord by, by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He goes on, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good, goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. 
the former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there's these two groups of, of believers that have been encouraged to preach the gospel. Uh, there, there were those who were preaching out of love, and there's, there were those who were preaching out of envy. Now, the ones who were preaching out of love, you, you can begin to imagine the situation in, in Rome. Maybe they've been laying low. Again, this is Rome. Any, any whiff of, 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 of treachery, of treason, would get severely punished. And, and Jesus talked about establishing his kingdom. Perhaps they're, they're timid in sharing their faith. And, and think about this. They find out that, that Paul, this, this pillar of the faith, this church-planting guru, has, has become imprisoned for the gospel. And then something rises up in these believers, that courage to, to stand for Christ when, when one of their leaders is in chains for Christ. If, if Paul can do it, we can do it. They begin to think to themselves, we can, we can preach Christ. We can stand with Paul. We can do what he's unable to do because he's in chains. And they begin to preach out of love <clears throat> and solidarity. But there are also those who preach out of envy. It says in, in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And then in verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Some of the Christians were preaching Christ out of envy. That's a strange sentence to even say. But it seems that there were teachers who, who wanted something. Maybe they wanted prominence or, or platform, who knows, or maybe something that was afforded to them by Paul being in prison. They couldn't do certain things because Paul was not in prison, but now that they're, they're, they're seeing that Paul is in prison, they're, they're able to step out with a kind of boldness, a kind of brashness that they didn't have previously. It kind of feels a little bit like uh, online commenting. I won't go too far into this, but there's, there's this almost power of, of, of being anonymous that, that allows us to say and, and share thoughts and opinions that we would never do face-to-face. -face. And I wonder if there was something about Paul's presence that had now been taken away, his, his accountability that had been placed on that community, that now these, these teachers were feeling like we can do what we want. Now, they weren't heretics, or else Paul would have condemned them like he, he does in Galatians. They weren't people who were preaching a different gospel or a false gospel. They weren't teaching something that was anti-Christ, but it was anti-Paul. They sought to afflict him. Maybe, maybe his imprisonment freed them to build their ministries. Maybe they thought that when, when Paul heard of their successes, it would hurt Paul, and they would be able to inflict a little bit of pain. Maybe they hoped to step into the vacuum of influence that they thought that Paul had. But these envious ministers, they, they sought to preach and proclaim Christ for their own purposes and also to harm Paul. This was a terrible, twisted group of individuals who put perceived ministry success ahead of love. And that's, that's a dangerous thing. I would go further and talk about how bad that is, but it's interesting that Paul doesn't. And in fact, he, he responds quite differently. Take a moment and think about how you would respond if you were put in prison unjustly and then others stepped into the vacuum, began to lead in your place, 
in such a way that it caused you pain, harm, and suffering? What kind of righteous indignation? Oh, this, this can't stand. What kind of prayers would you begin to pray? But how does Paul respond? He says in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Earlier I asked you, if your life were, were a movie, who would be the protagonist? And, and if we're honest, I think most of us would say, me. I'm, I'm the protagonist. But, but Paul knew something. Paul knew that he was not the main character of his life. God was. Paul says, what, what then? Only that in, in every way that Christ is proclaimed. Not that in every way Paul is, is exalted. Not in every way that, that Paul gets his, his rights acknowledged. Not that in every way Paul is, is justified. No, he says in every way Christ is proclaimed. And in that truth of Christ being lifted up, of Jesus Christ being glorified, I I rejoice. And so even though his life was in a dark place, the fact that God was being glorified through the gospel was enough to bring joy to Paul. When we recognize that God is the main character of our lives, even in our darkest hours, we have opportunity for joy. When we recognize that God is the main character, I am not, of our lives, even our darkest hours can become opportunities for joy. How could Paul be joyful in jail? Because God was still on the move. Ministry had not stopped. And in fact, a whole new mission field had opened up to him in the Imperial Guard. How could Paul be joyful when opposed by other Christians who should have been loving him? Because God was still on the move. And these, these knucklehead Christians who were doing terrible things were still being used for God's purposes. And, and we believe that people were getting saved. God would just, he would judge them, and he would judge their behavior. But if they're Christians, then, then Paul knows, you know what? Christ has died, and Christ will judge, and if he is forgiven, I, I can forgive. Paul had embraced the truth that God was the main character in his story. And Paul had received the good news that he could be forgiven for breaking the laws himself, that he did not have to experience the punishment of hell, all because God took on human flesh. God lived a perfect life in Jesus Christ. God, Jesus died on the cross, and in, his, in Paul's place, Jesus rose again. What about you? What about us? How, how do we really recognize that God is the main character in our life? I imagine that at this point, I'm, I'm hoping that there's, there's a part of you that's resonating with what I'm saying, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, yes, I want God to be the main character in my life. But, but let's be honest, if you're anything like me, that's, I don't know how long that's going to last. You get to lunch, your waiter doesn't come to the table quickly, you get ignored, and all of a sudden you're like, the protagonist is not getting his, his sweet tea. What's the deal here? This is more than just a mental exercise that we have, to, we have to think through, okay, I'm not the main character, and then try to live out our life. When we live our lives like, uh, when, we, when we live life like we're the center, we have to live life like God isn't the center. That, that's, that's the thing that's going on. That's what's wrong with this scenario. And this is why we can't live that way. 
It doesn't sound that bad when I say, hey, do you want to be the center of your own story? And you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm literally, I'm looking out of my own skull. Who's, who else is center? Who can be in the middle of my own story? But when I say to you that if you want to be at the center of your story, God can't be at the center of your story. That's when you begin to say, oh, well, what do I need to do? You see, when we live like we're at the center, that's sin. That's sin. That's, that's idolatry. When, when the world and our existence revolves around us, we've exalted ourselves to a place that God never intended for us to be in. God was the one who would be in the center. So we have to stop living like that. We have to trust in Jesus and recognize his rightful place in the center of our lives. That means that, that when we have these thoughts of, I should be first, we have to begin to fight those thoughts with what the Bible says. No, God's first. I, I need to be angry at this person because they haven't done what they should have done. No, I need to love this person like God said. You know, I need to, to hold this person accountable to what they've done. I, I can't forgive that person. No, I have to forgive that person because God who is first, God who is at the center has said forgive and, and he's been the one to give the example of forgiveness. The good news though is that when we recognize that God is the main character of our lives, even in the darkest hours, we can have joy. You know, Corrie Ten Boom uh, was a woman who lived during World War II she, she wrote a book called My, The Hiding Place. She, she was a Christian, and her family, they, they, they supported Jews, and they got caught. Um, and she and her sister ended up in a concentration camp, and her sister died in the concentration camp. And uh, she wrote a number of things, but she wrote in this devotional. She went on to, to minister internationally, just, just as an older woman, a single older woman. She would minister in places, tell people about the gospel, share her faith and her experience with people. And she wrote this devotional. It's called God is My Hiding Place. And there, there's one entry that says, When Joy Feels Impossible. She, and she writes this. The worst prison I've ever seen was in Africa. The building was too small for the prisoners. Only half of them could go inside the building at night. The rest had to stay outside. During the day, they were kept crammed together in the dirty compound in front of the prison. There had there'd been a tropical rainstorm, and the ground was a large pool of mud. Some men sat on branches, some, some sat on pieces of paper, and others had little shelves. They all had struggled to find something to sit on. Everything was dark and black, but the darkest was the expressions on their faces. When I asked the Lord what message to bring to them in this dark place, he told me to speak on joy. Lord, how, how can I speak on joy when they live in this terrible place? His answer was, my Holy Spirit is in here. Joy is a fruit of my spirit, and it is available wherever, wherever I am. I gave a very happy message. And the faces of the men lit up when I told them about the joy of the Lord that can be our strength, even when we are in very difficult circumstances. I explained that we move into the joy of the Lord by first acknowledging Jesus and choosing to follow him, you hear her talking about stopping being the one who leads and beginning to being the one who follows. Doing so is the beginning of experiencing joy. I said, I understand you don't think joy is possible when you're in prison, but I can tell you that I was in a prison far worse than yours, where only 20% of us came out alive. The rest starved or were killed cruelly. 
But the Lord was with us. His Holy Spirit was in our hearts. And there was often great joy. There's joy for you too. But you first must be at peace with God and man. When you turn your life over to the Lord and he cleanses your heart, he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of his spirit is joy. All of the prisoners and every, even the guard received Jesus that day. I'll repeat that. All of the prisoners, even the guard, received Jesus that day. Now, when everyone raises their hand to accept Jesus, I do not always trust it. So this was a woman who was preaching the gospel in such a way that she experienced often enough, everyone raised their hands. So she, she had an experience of it to say, well, maybe, maybe not. But I looked into their faces and saw that it was real for all of them. When I went to the car to leave, the men and the guards stood around the car, shouting something I could not understand. My interpreter smiled and told me that they were saying, come again, old woman. Come tell us more about Jesus. I was so glad. Though I had to leave, the Lord stayed with them. Though they were imprisoned in difficult circumstances, I believed that they had received the unchanging grace of God that sustained me and brought unspeakable joy. When you recognize that God is the main character of your life, when you submit your life to God, even your darkest hour can be opportunity for joy. William Cowper wrote uh, a number of hymns, but he wrote one kind of in response to his own struggles and then his coming to faith. He, he tried to take his life a number of times around the age of 32, and, and he, he was very upset very upset with his life and, and, and failed a number of times to try and take his life. And so one day he picks up the Bible shortly after having tried that and he, he reads Romans and comes to faith. And he writes, he writes a number of hymns, but in one of his hymns he says this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. He says, don't look at your life and just judge it by your physical eyes, your physical ears, your, your, your own wisdom. He says, behind that, that dark providence, behind that, that situation that you find yourself in, God's smiling face is behind it. If you will just trust him. Will you trust him today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you take even our darkest moments and, and you're able to bring joy. Not because you reverse everything necessarily, but because when we trust you, we can know that you're with us and we can know that you are at work. And at, as Paul has said in, in the beginning of this book, that the work that you've begun, you'll bring to completion. If you're in this room and you, you want to trust Jesus today, you want to stop being the, the protagonist of your own life and, and follow Jesus as your master, as your savior, would you raise your hand? That's great. I see those hands. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. Would you pray this with me? This is not magic in prayers, but what you're doing is responding to what God has done in your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to turn away from everything I know to be sin. I want to turn away from, from even trying to be the center of my own life. And I want to trust you, Jesus. Trust the, the fact that you lived a perfect life that I should have lived. 
that you died on the cross for my sins in my place, and that you rose again, defeating, defeating Satan's sin and death and offering me eternal life. I receive your eternal life. I submit myself to you as Lord, and I want to trust you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you, family.